Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Once upon a time, Starbucks was the poster child corporation for that 1990s-style win-win approach to labor relations. CEO Howard Schultz claimed that by being better to employees, offering more benefits to its partners, as they were called, it would be better for the bottom line. Schultz preached a kinder, gentler capitalism, one that wouldn't be a race to the bottom for low-wage workers, and he had enough success to plot a presidential bid. But times have changed, and Starbucks employees at 300 stores have voted to unionize, which the company is fighting tooth and nail. Schultz goes before Bernie Sanders-led Senate committee tomorrow, and we check in on the fight and what it says about our changing economy. That's all coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Mandrigal. Last January... Workers at a Starbucks in Buffalo became the first Starbucks workers to vote to unionize their shop. Since then, 300 Starbucks stores have unionized. And around here, workers in San Francisco, Berkeley, Mill Valley, and Oakland Starbucks locations have attempted to form unions with varying degrees of success. Starbucks, which has more than 15,000 stores nationwide, has not finished negotiating a contract with a single unionized store and has closed some of the branches where workers voted to unionize. Union membership overall has been declining for decades alongside U.S. manufacturing jobs, but these new efforts reflect a revitalization of U.S. labor across industries and parts of the country. Today we check in on the local Starbucks organizing efforts and talk about how the labor landscape has changed over just the last few years. Here to talk with us, we've got Harley Shaken, professor at UC Berkeley specializing in labor issues. Welcome, Harley. It's nice to be here. Yeah, nice to have you. We're also joined by Renata Giraldo, covers Starbucks for the Seattle Times. Welcome, Renata. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah. And we've got Greg Sajak, who works at the Starbucks store at 18th and Castro in San Francisco, which voted to unionize in 2022. Welcome, Greg. Thank you so much. Um, Greg, pleasure. L- <laughs> yeah, pleasure to have you with us. Um, Greg, you let's start with you, your experience. You were part of the unionization effort at the store. 
how'd you get involved in forming the union and how long you've been working there? Like, just tell us what it was, what it was like. Um, I've been a partner for nearly eight years. My anniversary is going to be in June. Um, we ended up getting interested in the unionization efforts after uh, we experienced a four-month closure at our store. It mm-hmm. wasn't at, like Starbucks or anything, but it was just a building issue. Uh, we became interested because we were seeing inconsistencies in our schedule, and some partners were unable to maintain the hours that they need in order to survive in the city. Mm-hmm. So we started to see a lot of partners starting to leave the company and seeking other employment at other stores uh, and transfer out. And it wasn't until uh, after we already opened that we started seeing hour cuts uh, within like hours of operation and we ended up losing our lobby seating for our customers. So it became really difficult to kind of advocate for ourselves and have a voice in the company and how they're moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, were the, the big issues, Greg, was it like the scheduling, not just the number of hours, but kind of getting jerked around on when they were and how the scheduling was playing out? Oh, entirely. It was a highly unpredictable. Sometimes you would close and then you would have to get up at five o'clock in the morning and open the next day. And that was pretty often that we were, uh, some of us were scheduled little clopins like that. Mm-hmm. It, it, our schedules are very uh, unpredictable week to week, and they can vary a lot. Yeah. How much did people's hours vary week to week? You know, because that's really like the money in your pocket, right? So how much did those things go up and down? I know for myself, I can speak that sometimes it would be a 20-hour difference. Other times it would be a 10-hour difference week to week. Uh and I know a lot of other partners who tried working a little bit more full time saw bigger variances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, just for uh, folks listening out there, Starbucks workers are referred to as partners and refer to themselves as partners, which is what you're hearing Greg say here. Um, last week, um, workers, you know, slash partners at the Starbucks at Embarcadero Cove in Oakland were among the latest to try to form a, a union. Um, We're now also hearing, you know, other stores in the Bay Area have been interested in organizing. I mean, what do you think of those efforts? Are you all in touch? We're definitely reaching out to other stores and trying to kind of feel how everyone is uh, kind of like the atmosphere around unionizing. A lot of stores are very supportive of it, and they're interested in learning a little bit more on how to go throughout the process, while others we find that are uh, somewhat hesitant because they're unsure what a union, like the benefits a union can bring to a store. That and also it's a like a different type of work as well. Yeah. So it's something that we're not necessarily used to. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's also been a, a set of bargaining demands, right? That Starbucks Workers United has been been working on. Um, are there any parts of that that you feel like um, you you want to talk about in particular? I know a couple of them. I would love to actually see kind of come to fruition uh one of them is having uh benefits expanded to uh partners that are working less than 20 hours a week Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which that can well that's been weaponized in the past before with previous scheduling where prior managers have even tried to schedule um below the limit the 20 hour annual uh hour limit so -hmm. that they would be removed from benefits Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the biggest ones I would love to see. Yeah. Thanks so much, Greg. Um, Renata, you've been covering uh, Starbucks for the Seattle Times. And, you know, last week the company had its annual meeting and it really seems like this unionization effort has kind of roiled things. How did the company approach 
the unionization effort, you know, at that meeting? Um, so I think first things first, um, this meeting was um, unique in that um, it was the first time that the new CEO, Lakshman Narasimhan, um, you know, led a, a big meeting. Um, he took over as CEO last week. Um, it's interesting that, you know, Howard Schultz has been vocal about labor issues in the past. Mm-hmm. Um but we didn't really hear anything from Lax during that meeting. Um, the only time, uh, one of the only times that, um, you know, the issue of labor uh, rights uh, were raised was um, when shareholders brought forth um, a proposal for there to be an assessment of Starbucks practices uh, with regards to letting uh, workers organize and uh, for collective bargaining um, to which the company uh, said that they would make their, you know, uh, their own assessment using an independent uh, third party. Um, And it was also approached towards the um, end of the meeting uh, when AJ Jones, the second, who is the chief communications um, officer, um, said that there would be no uh, labor neutrality agreement, uh, which is kind of this complicated term that makes it easier for their for, for stores to form a union um, using uh, more seamless um, uh, processes during mm. the election. Um, so, and AJ Jones II was uh, Starbucks. Um, when when reeling back a little bit uh when bernie when senator bernie sanders um asked howard schultz to testify um he which he will do tomorrow for those who haven't been keeping yes um they schultz had initially declined and starbucks had asked um for um aj jones the second um who spoke about labor issues during the meeting to uh, testify um, on behalf of Starbucks, um, which at the end of the day ended up not, um, you know, not being the case. Um, so it, it seems like there is kind of this push that um, AJ Jones the second is kind of being this mm-hmm. person that is handling um, mm-hmm. the the issues instead of the new CEO. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if, for for those who are interested. Um, Howard Schultz sort of let himself be profiled a variety of times by different national reporters about uh, basically anti-unionization efforts within Starbucks and why he thought they didn't need a union and was like, you know, getting interviewed on CNN and having big Washington Post, you know, uh, feature stories. It was kind of a fascinating uh, communication strategy there. We're talking about the efforts to unionize uh, Starbucks workers. We're joined by Greg Sajak, works at the Starbucks store at 18th and Castro in San Francisco, which voted to unionize. In 2022. Also joined by Renata Giraldo, covers Starbucks for the Seattle Times, who've just been here and talk, and Harley Shaken, professor at UC Berkeley, specializing in labor issues. Um, we'd love to hear from you. What do you think of the efforts uh, by Starbucks workers to unionize? And we're curious if your views on unionization have changed over the last few years and why or why not. You can give us a call. The number is 866 733 
866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're KQED Forum. Um, Harley Shaken, I was hoping you could give us a little bit of the broader context on sort of, in particular, private sector union membership. Um, what's happened with that over the decades? Well, over the decades, it's declined precipitously. Uh, beginning, private unionization soared in the United States in the mid-1930s when Robert Wagner, a U.S. senator from New York, uh, introduced the Wagner Act, Labor's Magna Carta. And he said something at that introduction which would frame labor law in this country through today, although it's severely eroded, he said in 1935, our choice is between democracy, giving workers rights, or despotism. Uh, and the Wagner Act did give workers rights, and millions flocked into unions. It has been eroded over the uh, subsequent decades significantly until today, union membership overall is 12 percent down from a peak of over 30 percent in the mid-1950s and in the private sector it's six percent these are alarmingly low numbers and in food service it's even lower right i think i saw it was two percent in food service Uh, uh, absolutely and why this is why these numbers are so problematic right now is the most recent Gallup poll, uh, which was taken in August of last year, indicates that 71 percent of all Americans have a very favorable opinion of unions. That's close to the all time high in 1936 of 72 mm. percent. The mm. difference is. Law makes it difficult, and employers, uh, like Howard Schultz, uh, have come down very hard against workers organizing. We're talking about the efforts to unionize at Starbucks and the next steps workers are trying to take there. I'm going to say bye to Greg Sajak, who works at the Starbucks store at 18th and Castro in San Francisco, which voted to unionize in 2022. Thanks for joining us, Greg. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, also joined by Harley Shaken, professor at UC Berkeley, specializing in labor issues, and Renata Giraldo, who covers Starbucks for the Seattle Times. We're going to get to calls and comments uh, right after the break. We want to hear what you think of the efforts to unionize at Starbucks. And if your views on unionization have changed over the last few years, the number is 866-733-6786, forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about efforts to unionize Starbucks workers with Harley Shaken, professor at UC Berkeley, specializing in labor. Renata Giraldo covers Starbucks for the Seattle Times. And want to add in Naomi Martinez, who works at a Starbucks in Phoenix that voted to unionize in May of 2022. Welcome, Naomi. Good morning. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your job and how you got involved in bringing a union to the store? Sure. I started at Starbucks as a barista a little over two years ago, and I was really excited to see the union campaign for Starbucks kind of explode out of Buffalo, New York last year. Um, I have been interested and supportive of unions in kind of a more passive way over the last couple of years, but this was a perfect opportunity for me to kind of put my money where my mouth is. Um, and so I reached out, learned a lot more about the organizing process and, you know, labor law and organizing your store strategically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was lucky enough to engage my coworkers and build um, a successful organizing movement in my store. So you hadn't been part of a union organizing drive before that? No, I hadn't. Oh, wow. And what what was like the most surprising thing you learned during that time? I think that during the organizing process, I learned so much about the fear that really paralyzes workers um, in that original kind of uh, first wave of speaking to your coworkers and telling them this is a real option that we can do. It just, just means standing up for ourselves um it's really hard to get over that first hump because there's so much ambiguous fear-mongering especially specifically in starbucks now um there's so much language and training and in, in notices that they put in the stores where people don't feel like the the risk uh is worth shaking up their lives um and i completely understand where they're coming from as yeah. as workers who are living paycheck to paycheck you know is it worth putting things at risk um and lucky luckily we decided it was and it has been you know earlier when we were talking with um greg sajak from the starbucks around here you know he was noting that the big issues were kind of scheduling and kind of the the erratic nature of scheduling and the number of hours you would get um, were there other issues that your uh, coworkers wanted to address? I think a cornerstone of our organizing movement has been safety protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, my store is it's in an, it's in a local neighborhood in West Phoenix, and I love where I live. But there are safety issues that happen outside of our store, inside of our store, um, that really make people feel unsafe um, going to work and there aren't enough protocols um, in place that Starbucks has built up themselves Um, and I think that the workers 
priorities. Um, they are a lot higher, uh, like they would cost the company a lot more um, if things were set up to make us feel safe. Um, and when we have called that into question, you know, things like bulletproof glass in the stores, things like having security outside of stores where there are incidences, um, the company is not willing to do that uh, when they're asked voluntarily. And so that's a big cornerstone of our organizing and we're hoping for things like that in our contract. Um, let's um, take a first call here. Uh, Scott in Mountain View, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning, Alexis. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I, my question is about the term use of the term partners mm, to refer mm-hmm. to workers, assuming that these workers are classified, you know, legally and for tax purposes as employees. How is it acceptable for Starbucks to uh, kind of go around? Call, calling them partners mm-hmm. in the public discussion. Yeah, that's Always interesting. That. Yeah, it's an interesting question. It's, it was such an intentional thing and such a part of the culture of that company. I mean, Harley Shaken is. Just, I guess there's nothing to like prevent them legally from just calling them partners in that way. No, but if they were going to be accurate, they're silent partners. They don't have a voice. Uh, And that's not what our labor law guarantees and not what is vital for any democracy. I should confess, I go into Starbucks. I like coffee at Starbucks. But one of the things that is appealing about the chain is the baristas, the people who work there. Uh, And for them to be in fear of joining a union or to have serious complaints about safety or stress on the job is something that diminishes from Starbucks. Uh, So for Howard Schultz to say uh, he opposes unions, he doesn't think workers need them, that's his opinion. But the law says that's up to workers to freely and democratically decide. Um, just want to say to folks, we did reach out to uh, Starbucks, ask them to come on the show. Um, they sent us over some statements, um, just kind of as a representative sample of, of what they sent over. Um, throughout our history, Starbucks has set itself apart as a different kind of company defined by a sense of human connection and the shared success of the partners, customers, and communities we serve. This partner-first focus and our long history of listening and learning from our partners is core to our business and underscores our future growth. Um, Renata, is that the kind of thing that they have been saying to you in, in your reporting or what, what have they added in, in terms of their uh, approach to this? Um, yes. And, and to, I should say this, I guess, uh, to Starbucks credit, um, you know, kind of earlier on in the game, uh, they, they have been, um, you know, the kind of company that's been kind of an innovator in that way, um, compared to other kind of food service companies. Um, I think one thing that um, they have added in their responses to, um, you know, to this issue is uh, the, um, and and I believe that, you know, Greg and Naomi will know this way better than me, but, uh, you know, they have stated that the union has been unwilling to come to the table and mm-hmm. negotiate in good faith. Um which you know is is contested by the union, um, so uh, so they have added that to to their responses um, about this issue. Um, so um, yeah, sure. so that uh, yeah, it's not just like the you know the 
to their credit, the fact that they, you know, um, are kind of a human focused company. So yeah, and they've they've um filed uh complaints about the uh, about the union with the National uh, Labor Relations Board, and in fact, um. The Republican-led uh, committee in the House has also requested documents from the National Labor Relations Board about the way that the NLRB itself has adjudicated some of these disputes between the union um, and Starbucks. So a, a lot going on uh, in in Congress around this. Um, Naomi, how have you seen, like from your perspective as, as someone, you know, trend, you know, organizing an individual store, how has that like contract bargaining process gone? You know, because you voted for the union, but for those who don't know, you then have to like secure the contract, uh, which is a, a big step where a lot of unionization drives fail. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, securing the contract is everything. And so the fight really starts after your store is organized. Um, my store has not seen a bargaining date with Starbucks since we organized last May. And that's not because the workers aren't prepared or our union doesn't have anything to say. Um, it has a lot to do with Starbucks continuing to delay the process in any way that they can. Um, whether that means taking an incredibly long time to get back to um, scheduling requests or even last month, um, three stores in Arizona were prepped to bargain. And I think in less than 48 hours before, the company cancels. And there's not enough that is, you know, stopping Starbucks from doing that, whether that's in the law, uh, labor law, that makes it, you know, have a high enough consequence for them to not do that. And so it's difficult as a worker after the store is organized to have to continue pushing and pushing and pushing. Um, but that is kind of what we're forced to do when there isn't enough backing the workers um, to help us get our contract. Yeah. Let's uh, bring let's bring in caller Pam from Albany on this point. Welcome to the show, Pam. Hi, that's exactly what I wanted to talk about. Um, the way that employers can just stall and stall and stall. And sometimes I think even when the employers themselves might not necessarily think that way, my husband and I are both involved in union organizing in our own workplaces, two different places. He's a, a doctor with allied medical professionals working for kind of a lefty clinic that <laughs> you would think they'd be all huh. pro-union. And, um, and I work for a school district. And both of them, you know, th we've had, well, in the school district, we've had, um, we've been certified as a union for like five years. We still don't have a contract. Wow. And you would think, why is the school district doing this? They have unions and other things. They work with unions all the time. And I think it has a lot to do with who the employers hire to, um, to negotiate for them because they're always hiring these law firms. And it seems like every single one of them just does everything that they can to stall and I'm really curious what um, the – are you from the Labor Center, the guy from UC Berkeley, or what you have to say about that? I know that the, there are lots of ways that they can stall, but mm. do they have to? <laughs> yeah. Harley, um, talk to us about, about that. What they're doing is absolutely illegal, and the National Labor Relations Board under the Biden administration for Starbucks and many others has found it illegal – but the way labor law is now structured, 
there's no penalties. So for Starbucks to say the union doesn't want to come to the table is profoundly wrong. What Starbucks has done, if there is one person in an age of COVID right now who is on Zoom for a negotiating meeting, they cancel it within three minutes. So the tactic here is to deny rights through preventing any real negotiations. Uh, and that is illegal, but absent penalty, we've got a flawed system. And the fact that uh, we that Naomi mentioned uh, that workers have fear uh, about organizing in a military dictatorship, you understand why they fear to join a union. But in a democracy, where George Schultz, the former Secretary of Labor under a Republican, said unions, free unions, and democracy go together. Uh, just want to note, again, this is from uh, the things that Starbucks sent over to us uh, since October 22, uh, 2000. 2022. They've appeared at 85 contract bargaining sessions. Um, they also say that the union's uh, insistence on preconditions to bargaining, which includes the hybrid bargaining that, uh, which is to say some people on Zoom, um, are are unlawful and has prevented bargaining from going forward. So that's kind of the, the Starbucks perspective there. Um, we are talking about efforts to unionize uh, Starbucks workers with Harley Shaken, professor at UC Berkeley specializing in labor issues. Renata Geraldo covers Starbucks for the Seattle Times. We're joined also by Naomi Martinez, who works at a Starbucks in Phoenix that voted to unionize in May of 2022. And earlier we were joined by Greg Sajak, who works at the uh, Starbucks there on 18th and Castro in San Francisco, which also voted to unionize in 2022. Love to hear from you. Are you hoping to unionize your workplace? What are you hoping a union might be able to do for you? And what do you think is behind the new labor movements at places like Starbucks and Amazon in this country? Give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Email forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We're KQED Forum. Let's bring in another caller. Let's go to uh, Fred in Burlingame. Hello? Hey, Fred. You're on the show. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I've, uh, I'm a student of unions. I wrote a thesis about um, unions in South Africa. And I'm, as an American, I'm really upset at this adversarial relationship between unions and management. It, it, it is so ridiculous. You go to Europe. <clears throat> I, I, I can't pronounce a German word, but they put <laughs> union members on the board of companies. You have the Chobos of um, South Korea, you have Japan Inc., you have uh, South Africa that has the uh, a, a triangular relationship between the ANC and Kasato, the National Union Board, and the uh, um, uh, Communist Party. They're the ruling coalition, and that's communist in name only. <laughs> Basically, unions are very pro-management, throughout the world, and I'm sick and tired of hearing about this nonsense of this these new entrepreneurial companies having this adversarial relationship like they think they're Henry Ford in 1929 or something. I mean, uh, get with it. Uh, the unions are, are should be part of management, and they should help the company. And you know what this doing? You know what this whole nonsense is doing to the public. We're going to uh, 
the um, who have a better relationship, you know? Yeah, yeah. Hey, Fred, thank you for that uh, perspective. You know, Harley, there are particular facets and histories to the American labor movement that sort of prevented us or, you know, put us on a different path from, say, that German model where you've got workers on the boards of of companies. Um, how do you view this from, from your perspective? I mean, it seems like there are – it's just a, a kind of a, a different system of labor relations. Yes, it's evolved very differently because of a variety of reasons. But post-World War II, uh, what the U.S. labor movement did, since it was unable to do this politically in Washington, it established the core of a welfare state through collective bargaining. The auto workers in particular, the UAW, was central to that. So things many Americans take for granted, like employer-paid health care, when we had defined benefit pension plans, uh, the 40-hour week, and a whole range of other benefits came through collective bargaining with Germany, England, and other places, and, and Great Britain and other places did through uh, political means. But Ultimately, what unions have provided workers is dignity on the job. And part of that, of course, is higher wages and more security for their families. And the paradox about Starbucks uh, is this is a service-oriented company. It's been innovative in many ways. But when it comes to labor relations, it could be even more successful by giving workers a voice and by having them have a sense of dignity, not a sense of fear for exercising what is their right in the United States. Got some comments uh, coming in. Chris writes in to say, I worked at Starbucks for five years, first in college and then when I originally moved to the city. It's a pretty difficult job. Customers are not exactly the nicest. And the thing that I really remember was even when I was sick and calling out of a shift, I would be forced to call around to stranger partners from other stores to see if they would cover for me. Good luck to all the partners attempting to unionize. Another listener tweets, We formed our union at San Francisco's Anchor Brewery with the help of ILWU, and the Starbucks union is showing people all over the country the power of worker solidarity. People listening should know if you want to organize and unionize your workplace, do it. It can be done. Another listener writes, when employers say they care about workers' concerns but fight unionization, they make clear they're lying. Logically, if you care about employees' concerns, then you want to hear from them. If you have a lot of employees, you can't hear from them all individually. You need a representative, thus a union. Got some union folks in the audience this morning. We're talking about efforts to unionize Starbucks workers with Harley Shaken, professor at UC Berkeley, specializing in labor issues. Renata Giraldo covers Starbucks for the Seattle Times, and Naomi Martinez, who works at a Starbucks in Phoenix, had voted to unionize in May of 2022. Taking your calls on your views on unionization changing over the last few years, the number is 866-733-6786. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the new organizing efforts at Starbucks as well as at other companies previously that didn't have unions like Amazon around the country. Joined by Naomi Martinez, who works at Starbucks in Phoenix, voted to unionize uh, last year. Renata Giraldo covers Starbucks for the Seattle Times and Harley Shaken, professor at UC Berkeley, specializing in labor issues. Uh, Renata, we have an interesting question from uh, Sarah, one of our listeners, who writes, for this morning's guest, I'm curious how much middle management is supporting unionization efforts, if at all. What role are the store managers and corporate managers playing in all this? That's a very interesting question. Um, I think it varies uh, by each uh, by each store. Um, the the way that Starbucks is, is structured, and again, Naomi and, and Greg can speak better on this than I can, um, but um, there are store managers and district managers who, you know, um, the district managers um, kind of manage a group of stores. Um, for the most part, um, from what I've heard here in Seattle, um, it, it varies um, how much they are, you know, willing to uh, collaborate with the union. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been told that in some cases, though, um, they are being told by uh, Starbucks corporate to respond in a certain way or keep an eye out for any workers who might be showing, you know, like uh you know, willingness to organize there. Um, so, so it really varies, but, hmm. but from mm-hmm. what I've heard, uh, there seems to be some, you know, um, coordination between Starbucks, the company and these middle managers um, mm-hmm. for cases when, um, you know, union organizers are being terminated from their stores, which has happened. Um it seems that it's um it's on the middle manager's part um hmm. to create you know reasons uh that may be you know valid or not it it really varies um to terminate you know these workers so hmm. um so it really varies but it does seem like there is some coordination between Starbucks and and these middle managers to respond to this Naomi Martinez, how has this gone in your organizing effort? Have you gotten any of the store managers on your side? Maybe not publicly. I don't think you'll ever see a Starbucks manager, Starbucks district manager uh, currently employed voicing their support for Mm -hmm. union organizing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they would immediately be pushed out um, in the same way that they are pushing out union organizers uh, in the rank and file. it's very unfortunate, but the store managers uh, have a job to do. And the bottom line for them is to make sure that their stores are running the way that their bosses want them to run. Um, and that doesn't involve 
uh, having strong union leaders in a store. And so it's unfortunate, but you see most of the time it's kind of uh, skirting around the U word. Um, and when there are union organizers that, you know, maybe higher management wants out, um, we see a lot of strong enforcement of policy uh, unrelated to the union that suddenly are being enforced at, at a higher rate on union organizers. Mm. So it's, it's unfortunate, but I know I, I haven't had uh, my <laughs> pro-union managers yet. <laughs> um, let's also just get a, a sense of how Howard Schultz, uh, who just stepped down as CEO and had been kind of leading the anti-unionization fight at Starbucks. Let's uh, hear him from, this is from an interview with CNN um, in 2022 and his thoughts on unionization. It's my belief that the efforts of unionization in America are in many ways a manifestation Mm -hmm. of a much bigger problem. I've talked to thousands of our Starbucks partners in these co-creation sessions, and I was shocked, stunned to hear the loneliness, the anxiety, the fracturing of trust in government, fracturing trust in companies, fracturing of trust in family, the lack of hope in terms of opportunity. What is it that you want that you don't have? Yeah. Is it more benefits? It's, not, it's generally not wage or benefits. Most of the time they say something to me like, we want a seat at the table. And so what does that mean? Um, Naomi Martinez, what does we want a seat at the table mean? We want a seat at the table means that workers who are struggling uh, in a ton of different aspects of life. But at the end of the day, my opinion is that our lives boil down to work um, in America. You know, our life revolves around work. Um, so having a seat at the table for me means that I get to be a part of building a, a workplace and conditions at my workplace that support me. Um, and that's the bottom line. Uh, the bottom line for workers is not how does this little store in Phoenix make as much money with as little staff uh, as possible? Our bottom line is how do we create an environment at work that pays us enough to have benefits uh, that we you know, right now don't qualify for, to have a, a workplace where we feel safe coming in every day, to have enough people on the floor that you know we're not stressing ourselves out and you know, physically exhausting ourselves every day. Um, so... Yeah, workers are struggling outside of work, but at the end of the day, everyone needs a job to survive outside of, you know, in, in normal life. And so it's, I think, a huge deflection to say what Howard said mm-hmm. in that quote. Mm-hmm. Um, Barbara, one of our listeners, writes in to say, Each time I go to Starbucks, I'm taken aback by how hard the employees work. The coffee is ridiculously expensive. I understand why people do not like paying an additional dollar as a tip. I feel an obligation to tip. They deserve it. I work for a franchise massage business. We're paid minimum wage. Our job requires training, licensing, and is physically and mentally challenging. Yet we do not get raises and have zero fringe benefits. I appreciate that owners have overhead. Still, more protocols and better compensation need to be required of businesses. I think that's... One of the many reasons uh, unions have got, got more support over the last uh, few years. Let's um, go to uh, Jeannie in San Jose. Welcome. 
Hi, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I, I listening to the broadcast. I'm like gonna not go to Starbucks anymore. It's just like despicable that to me when I hear somebody wants to be at the table that they want to make sure that they're being heard. You know, somebody said if they're working or closing and then being scheduled to open, that doesn't seem like it's being sensitive or taking into account uh, a partner's needs. And um, so my father was a union worker, and I'm a big supporter of unions, but my husband is also in management. And the flip side is, you know, once these unions are formed, that sometimes the workers take advantage. They don't, um, you know, like they take a break, but then they take extra long. Um, My husband's saying, like, you know, they're hanging out in the bathroom. So it's like, you know, both sides need to be taking care of each other. And in my opinion, it's, you know, greed. You know, it's like um, everybody needs to just do their best and stop trying to take advantage, you know. Um, that's my comment. And, yeah, I just hope it works out. But I think I'm going to stop going to Starbucks until they make it, like, across the board that all shops can be union, you know. Thanks, Jeannie. Appreciate your uh, perspective there. Let's um, go right to Elliot in San Pablo. Hi there. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks for joining us. So a uh, real quick comment I just wanted to say to all the Starbucks workers, you know, we're behind you. We support you. I'm also trying to avoid going to Starbucks wherever I can now. So really hoping to see that company policy changes there. Uh, my question is, Uh, I've become interested in unionization myself uh, recently, and I was looking into it, but it seems like unionization only works at the company that you're working at, not in kind of an industry-wide manner, more like the Screen Actors Guild or something. And so how can unionization progress in the tech industry when so many workers are changing their Mm -hmm. jobs every year, every couple of months, because you're not staying at one place, not even planning to stay at one place long enough for it to be worth unionizing. Yeah. Interesting uh, question, Elliot, this other kind of model of sectoral uh, bargaining as opposed to, you know, kind of shop by shop. Harley, can you uh, talk to us about the kind of where we stand on sectoral bargaining and how it has kind of come into play in some places, but not most? Oh, absolutely. Sectoral bargaining essentially establishes broad minimums across an entire industry. It is practiced widely in many European economies that are very successful, such as Germany. And the first step in this direction in a major way is in California, where the legislature recently passed something akin to sectoral bargaining, for the fast food industry in the state, establishing these minimums over which unions for various companies, were they able to organize, could improve things. But employers are putting millions of dollars into challenging this through the initiative system on the ballot. Uh, So we'll have to wait to see how that, that comes out. But sectoral bargaining is very valuable. And in many industries, we used to have industry-wide bargaining. One of the most successful examples of that was in the auto industry. The Detroit Mm. automakers still have that 
and are uh, are going into negotiations uh, this summer for a September deadline where for the Detroit auto industry, you have effectively industry-wide bargaining. The problem is over half the cars made in the U.S. are no longer made in unionized shops. One final quick comment on what Howard Schultz said. If things were just uh, a, a symptom of a problem with America, why doesn't he let workers freely decide in all stores? Why would you need this huge corporate effort where the entire weight of the chain is brought to bear on each of the individual stores where baristas uh, uh, have decided they want a union vote. There's a contradiction there. And I think it doesn't benefit the, the baristas, it doesn't benefit Starbucks, and it doesn't ben benefit us as a democracy. Uh, got some other uh, comments coming in. One listener writes, musicians also have unions. Oakland Symphony spent 40 years without a signed contract, and the method has been the same, stalling. Another listener writes, I belong to one of the few remaining pilot unions in the country that's been able to continue to provide a good wage with benefits to its workers. In addition, it is in large part due to my union that the aviation industry is the safest industry in the world. We need to bargain collectively or greed will win at the cost of all workers. Uh, one more. Ashley writes in, I am a union organizer. One of the things that your guest mentioned is about the fear of organizing and trying to get over it. It's really interesting that people are so terrified of organizing when, in fact, most workers in the United States are at will and can be fired for any reason except for union activity. In a time of layoffs and profit hoarding by companies, it will be really important for workers to recognize that they're more at risk uh, for life upheaval without a union than they are uh, with one. Let's uh, go back to the phone lines here. Jim in Sausalito. going so i was thinking that the unionization should go past the barista and just down the supply chain mm. you know mm. like to towards the farmers and uh, the people picking the beans and also to talk about unions i feel like if the government was doing their job uh unions wouldn't uh be needed so we should mm. look to our politicians to make sure that we're getting a uh, the best bang for our buck and we don't have to pay for our more rights Hey, Jim, thanks for that um, perspective. You know, Renata, I wanted to ask you on the supply chain question. This is an interesting one. Um, what is Starbucks' approach to its suppliers' uh, labor relations? Um, that's a very interesting question. Um, I, I do know they, you know, they have spoken um, uh during the annual shareholders meeting about, you know, the livelihood. Uh, they rely on a very large network of coffee farmers all over the world. Um, Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.